This is CPX number 58, The Character Impressed by the Sacraments, and Question and Answer with Father David. This is Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX number 31 to 34. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris, Fidei, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere in filling all things, treasure of all good, and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good. Amen. In nomine Patris, Fidei, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. The character impressed by some of the sacraments. Number 31, what sacraments can be received only once? Answer, the sacraments that can be received only once are three, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. Number 32, why can the three sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and holy orders be received only once? Answer, the three sacraments, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders can be received only once because each of them imprints a special character on the soul. Number 33, what is the character that each of the three sacraments, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders, imprints on the soul? Answer, the character that each of the three sacraments, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders, imprints on the soul is a spiritual mark that is never effaced. Number 34, what is the purpose of the character that these three sacraments impress on the soul? Answer, the character that these three sacraments imprint on the soul serves to mark us as members of Jesus Christ at baptism as his soldiers at confirmation, and as his ministers at holy orders. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. Okay, since today was pretty short, I put on YouTube, Ask Father David Questions and Answers, and I got about 50 of those. I'm going to go through those. Here's my advice for you. I'm probably going to go pretty long because I like a lot of these questions. I'll probably just kind of keep going until I get tired. So that's my suggestion to you. Just keep going until you get tired. I think it was the third one had two very interesting questions, including on the church in China. So I may run out of steam before I get to even number 10 because I really want to answer this one that I saw on YouTube asking me about the church in China. So we'll just go in order right now of uh, how these came in. I might skip a couple, but for the most part, I'm going to try to answer all these. So my, again, my advice is just go till you get tired of me. Okay, first question from June Arribas. Do you pray the rosary every day? What is a signal grace as one of the promises of the rosary? Can one still be a saint if one's family does not practice the faith? Okay, I think I'll go in reverse order there. Can one still be a saint if one's family does not practice the faith? Yes, it's harder, but it's possible. What is a signal grace? You know, I've been using this term for a long time uh, as if I knew it, but I had to Google it myself, and it's this. This is considered signs and answered prayers as signal graces. It's like trail markers or signposts that whisper in our ear, this is the way, walk this path. And I googled it on another site too, that seems to be about accurate. These are the external things that show us decisions that we have to make. And then, do you pray the rosary every day? Yes, I pray the rosary every day. I aim for 15 decades, but I don't beat myself up if I don't get to 15. If it's just five, that's okay. Maybe there's a few days a year I don't even get to five. If I'm on a road trip, it's pretty easy to get 15 because you don't really have, you know, an excuse to skip 15 decades if you're on a long trip. Okay, number two from Anne. What advice and prayers do you have to obtain the con conversion of children, family, and friends? Um, the, pray the rosary uh, and fast for them. You know, I used to think that you had to fast for a long time, but I listened to David Gray's, or rather I had David Gray on my podcast, and he said he got his family converted through just fasting one day a month. I think he said it was the 13th. So that was a real conviction to me that, you know, God may not be looking for 30 days on bread and water. Sometimes I think we recuse ourselves from fasting and other penances because they're not as heroic as the saints in the past. But I think that if we can do small things, just like Therese, who's over one of these shoulders of mine, 
says um, God is looking for uh, thanksgiving and surrender. Okay, number three, JM says, I have a question about your picture. She's talking about that one that I was in Florida and I had a sign that said, got questions, question mark, need confession, question mark. And I was sitting there on my iPad um, waiting for anyone to come up with questions or penitence. I think I had a cold brew in my hand. She said, I have a question about your picture. When do you wear a habit versus a cassock? And you go often in public to evangelize and hear confessions. I think it's fascinating to hear about your day-to-day life. That's a great question. So up until last year, I was a diocesan priest, which is where I wrote, I wore the Roman collar. Maybe I'll put a picture up. Here's me with a gas mask when I thought this whole pandemic was going to go really big. I guess I always kind of go to the extreme. This is when I thought things were going to go really bad if you're watching this on the video. But now I'm a diocesan hermit, and I wrote in my rule of life, approved by the Archdiocese of Denver to wear a habit. And so a habit marks you a little bit more as a religious than a diocesan priest. The, the reactions in public are different. In the Roman collar, that's the black with the white right here that I just showed you on that picture. Frequently, people know you're a priest, so it's kind of a love or hate relationship. Everyone's going to either love you or hate you walking through an airport. Um, and there's an advantage. Like I last maybe five times ago when I was in the Roman collar, a girl asked me to stop for confession. People know I'm a priest. Other times, you'll see people pull their kids closer to them because they look at a priest as someone who's going to hurt their kids. Now, in this, this is a habit that a nice lady designed for me. And um, in this, it's a little bit different. Like, uh, I was in California not too long ago, and someone asked me if I was a Buddhist. And I think I got that question two weeks ago in Denver International Airport. Someone also asked me if I was, I don't know, a monk or a Buddhist or something like that. Now, the big rosary off to my left kind of gives me away as a Catholic. People might think I'm a brother or a Franciscan or something. This is a little darker than Franciscans would wear, so that's one reason I picked this color. Um, the other interesting thing is if you noticed at the beginning of this video, I introduced myself as Father David instead of Father Nix. Religious introduce themselves as their first name and diocesan by their last name. So even though I know most traditionalists will call me Father Nix out of respect, Technically, as a hermit, I should probably go by how religious do, which is Father David. So I think I'm going to return to kind of those liberal days, but for a different reason. That tradition for religious, you go by uh, their first name. And then my daily life. Well, I guess I'm going to lose all my graces in sharing what happened yesterday, but people need to know that one reason I don't get back to them on emails is because I'm trying to pray several hours a day and my main gift to my donors is these videos and I tried to get out to the streets. So yesterday I was at Planned Parenthood and I talked to a young woman leaving Planned Parenthood in Spanish and she was a janitor there and we had a talk just about heaven and hell working there and she agreed to possibly leave. So I called Abby Johnson. Amazingly, Abby Johnson picked up her phone and we got her put in touch with Abby Johnson's organization and amazingly, she actually texted her. Abby put her in touch with her uh, Spanish-speaking person. And then today, Abby texted me, Planned Parenthood fired her for talking to me. Maybe they had the cameras up and they heard me say Abby's name. Uh, what's amazing is that she is um, an immigrant, sin papeles, in English people would say illegal. Pretty amazing that Planned Parenthood fired, well, it's amazing Planned Parenthood hired an illegal immigrant and then fired her without any bones about it. After talking to me, perhaps I shouldn't have said it, Abby Johnson's name there. Perhaps I shouldn't have said it now. Uh, but anyway, I'm not just sitting around making videos. 
trying to get to the streets and do some evangelization. So that was a little bit of a fruit. I know we lose our graces when you brag about that stuff, but figured I got to tell my donors about a, a few things that happened there. Okay, fourth question comes from an MW, and uh, there's a couple questions right here. I think I'm going to go with number two, and then three, and then one for this single person. Usually I'm not going to give that much time to just uh, someone writing three questions, but these are really interesting questions from MW. Number two is this, are the Bernadine rumors true based on what you know? Okay, so this is a reference to Cardinal Bernadine. You can Google him at Church Militant. I'm not going to get into everything that he's been accused of. I'd say this. So my family is a long line of Irish Democrats from Chicago. One of my family members wanted to see Cardinal Bernadine canonized to show you really how left-leaning my roots are. I think sometimes people think I was hatched in a traditional factory or something. But I come from a family that wants Bernadine canonized, Cardinal Bernadine of Chicago. Um, you can Google again at Church Militant what he's been accused of. The reason I do believe it's true is, for example, there's a lot of reasons I could give you, but I texted a friend a friend in real life, this isn't someone online, a friend in real life, and he texted, I know people who know her. This is a reference to Agnes. My friend knows people who've talked to Agnes, uh, the one that claims X, Y, and Z happened. In case there's kids listening, I'll let you go Google X, Y, and Z. Um, but I very much do believe those things against Bernadine. Now, in 1990, um, Malachi Martin wrote about this, now, this is what's really interesting. You can find this on Wikipedia, of all places, in reference to Malachi Martin. Windswept House describes a satanic ritual, the enthronement of Lucifer taking place at St. Paul's Chapel inside Vatican City on June 29, 1963. The book gives a depiction of high-ranking churchmen, cardinals, archbishops, and prelates of the Roman Curia taking oaths signed with their own blood, plotting to destroy the church from within. It tells the story of an international organization, organized attempt by these Vatican insiders and secular internationalists to force a pope of the Catholic Church to abdicate so that a successor may be chosen that will fundamentally change Orthodox faith and establish a new world order. That's Wikipedia, folks. Force a pope of the Catholic Church to abdicate so that a successor may be chosen that will fundamentally change Orthodox faith and establish a new world order. Um, now, one other interesting thing about this is people could say, well, that's, you know, that's just a conspiracy theorist. But I heard a talk the other day by Father Ripperger that he gave at Benedictine College. He said it was in the autumn of 1963. All of the exorcists alive there say that they lost a lot of their power in exorcisms in autumn of 1963. Now, in that talk, he didn't say what that came from. But it is interesting that Wikipedia and Malachi Martin have that in 1963 that thing that I just read you. So there could be a tie with everything Malachi Martin said. People could say he's crazy. This is a conspiracy theory. Um, but something happened in 1963, which, by the way, was a few years after the incident with Agnes. Okay, I think I'm going to skip number three from MW because I'm spending so much time on these other ones. But her first one, or his first one, was this. The underground Catholic Church in China has apostolic succession but does the public Catholic Church run by the government have real apostolic succession? No one has been able to answer me on this. Okay, so that's a really great question because MW does recognize that there's two different strains of bishops in China right now. One is called the underground church colloquially, and the other is called the political Catholic church. 
And so she says, no one has been able to answer me on this. I'm going to give you directly from Pope Benedict. He wrote this in June of 20, 2007. He gave this in Rome at St. Peter's on the 27th of May, the Solemnity of Pentecost in the year 2007. So this is directly from Pope Benedict. He writes this. You can still find it on the Vatican website. Currently, all the bishops of the Catholic Church in China are sons of the Chinese people. Okay, now I'm going to skip ahead a little bit for the sake of brevity for my listeners here. Here's where he describes the underground bishops. He says, Some of them, not wishing to be subjected to undue control, exercised over the life of the church and eager to maintain total fidelity to the successor of Peter and the Catholic doctrine, have felt themselves constrained to opt for clandestine consecration. The clandestine condition is not a normal feature of the church's life and history, but shows that pastors and faithful have recourse to it only amid suffering in the desire to maintain the integrity of their faith and to resist interference from state agencies and matters pertaining intimately to the church's life. For this reason, the Holy See hopes that these legitimate pastors may be recognized as such by government authorities for civil effects too, insofar as these are necessary, and that all the faithful may be able to express their faith freely in the social context in which they live." End quote. So right there, Pope Benedict just told you that the underground bishops are truly valid. He just hopes they could get along better with the civil authorities, or maybe a better way to put it is that the civil authorities would start treating them better. Now here's what's interesting. The political Catholic Church, they too have apostolic succession and valid sacraments, but this is what Pope Benedict wrote in 2007. Other pastors, however, under the pressure of particular circumstances, have consented to receive episcopal ordination without the pontifical mandate, but have subsequently asked to be received into communion with the successor of Peter and with their other brothers in the episcopate. The Pope, considering the sincerity of their sentiments and the complexity of the situation and taking into account the opinion of neighboring bishops by virtue of his proper responsibility as universal pastor of the church, has granted them the full and legitimate exercise of Episcopal, Episcopal jurisdiction. So right there he's saying the political Catholic Church, kind of implying they might be morally compromised a little bit, being in bed with the communists, still has been granted full and legitimate exercise of their Episcopal jurisdiction. So valid sacraments for both of these lines of bishops. Now, there has been a lot of doctrinal scandal the past 50 years. It's been amped up to fever pitch the past five years. And I know people might think I'm subject to exaggeration, but I'm going to say this, and I don't say this lightly. I think jurisdictionally the greatest scandal that has ever happened, this is doctrinal, doctrine aside, jurisdictionally the greatest scandal that's ever happened in the Catholic Church is what we've seen from the Vatican the past few years handing over most of these jurisdictional rights entirely to those political Catholic bishops of China. And just so you know, I'm not exaggerating, at least on the facts. You may not agree with my historical appraisal. This was Catholic News Agency, certainly not a traditionalist publication. Catholic News Agency just a few weeks ago wrote this, quote, according to new rules, which will reportedly take effect on May 1st, China's state-run Catholic Church and Bishops Conference will select, approve, and ordain Episcopal candidates with no mention of the Vatican's involvement in the process. So right there, you have all of these underground bishops and their priests, many of them suffering and being tortured in, in jail, are just sidelined 
for the bishops who are in bed with the communists. This is what Cardinal Zen had to say about that. Direct quote, quote, the most repugnant thing, oh, and by the way, they claim that Benedict said that, well, you just heard what Benedict said in 2007. The Vatican recently claimed Benedict says this, or at least people around the Vatican or in the Vatican. So this is what Cardinal Zen said about this. And again, he does the new mass. He, he doesn't even do the Latin mass. Just so you know, this isn't coming from just, you know, extreme traditionalists like Father David. This is a direct quote from Cardinal Zen. The most repugnant thing is the insult to the venerable Benedict XVI by saying that he approved at the time the agreement signed by the Holy See two years ago, knowing that our sweetest, most gentle Benedict certainly will not come out to deny it. That's talking about the 2018 agreement between the Vatican and China called the Sino. That's the Latin adjective for China, the Sino-Vatican Agreement. You can Google that in 2018. Um, as far as like Benedict being misquoted, I'm going to give you another example. This is a little bit off of the topic of China right here, but the Vatican recently claimed that Benedict XVI said this quote. Listen closely to this before I dissect it. Quote, some of my friends who are a bit fanatical are still angry. They didn't want to accept my choice. I think of the conspiracy theories that followed it. Some said that it was because of the Vatileak scandal. Some said it was because of a conspiracy of the gay lobby. Some said it was because of the case of the conservative Lefebvrean theologian Richard Williamson, end quote. So the Vatican says Pope Benedict said that on his own resignation. Okay, let me tell you why I know that didn't come from Pope Benedict. In seminary, he was my hero, Pope Benedict, and I read all of his stuff. My big project was the hermeneutic of continuity. I've since sidelined that. I'm not going to get into why. But I read thousands of pages written by Pope Benedict and or Cardinal Ratzinger. So let me dissect that quote a little bit to tell you why I don't think he wrote that. First of all, Pope Benedict, Cardinal Ratzinger, he never called people fanatical like we just heard in that quote. Um, he never used terms like conspiracy theories. Later, uh, he never called his blowing the whistle on that bank situation vati leaks, to my knowledge at least. And I've studied this stuff a lot. Pope Benedict never called those struggling with same-sex attraction gay like you just heard in that alleged reason for his resignation. That's why I think it's a fake quote. And he never called Archbishop Lefebvre as an adjective as he allegedly did there saying Lefebvrean theologian, as if he doubts Bishop Williamson is a real bishop. Absolutely insane to think Benedict said that. Okay, let's move on to another question. Karen says... How do you come to love Christ ever present in the Holy Eucharist even when you know what he says and teaches to be true? I'm not sure what the English meant. I don't mean to, to mock that question at all. Maybe there was just a little mistake on the English. But you kind of lead into a really interesting quote from St. Thomas Aquinas. I am not memorizing this. I'm just going to read this off the internet. This is from Adorote de Devote. And this is Father Gerald Manley Hopkins' translation. What God's Son has told me, take for truth I do, Truth himself speaks truly, or there's nothing true. And that is St. Thomas Aquinas talking about how looking at what looks like a piece of bread, smells like a piece of bread, tastes like a piece of bread, in some sense deceives the senses. Not that God would ever deceive, but our senses are deceived. But one, the one sense that's not deceived is our hearing, which is the number one sense connecting us to the truth that what Christ says is true. And when he says through the priest, hoc est enim corpus meum, this is my body, we know that is true. Even if that looks like bread, smells like bread, tastes like bread, we know that is truly the Son of God. 
So I'm not exactly sure what that question meant, but it kind of was an interesting lead-in to what St. Thomas Aquinas meant right there. Spent about 15 or 20 minutes on just a few questions, so I'll speed it up. But like I said, just turn me off whenever you get tired of me. KG Lee says, what does this phrase really mean? Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and simple as doves. Okay, that's a great quote. So I've been thinking a lot about this lately, that as we seem to have lost the... Uh, presidential election and sometimes it seems like we're really unable to cause church reform or state reform this is where we embrace the cross this is where we embrace the cross of christ and that doesn't mean being a doormat uh, but it does mean that the triumph of the cross will be living a life of non-compromise in a totally pagan world and i think we're finally there and so that part about carrying your cross that's tied up in this part where our Lord says to live as simple as doves. That no matter what happens, stay innocent in your consciences, but keep a spinal cord made of titanium. And this is where this word, wise as serpents, the Greek is actually prudent. Joseph Pieper says that prudence is common sense. So maintain common sense as you live in a world that lies to you a lot. Okay, next one comes from Dorcas. Thank you, Father, for the work you are doing. Our priests have forbidden us from receiving the Holy Eucharist by tongue. Thus, most of us have only been making a spiritual communion since our church was opened in August of 2020. What are your thoughts on receiving the Eucharist by hand? There seems to be some dispensation in the new Mass to do this. If you look at the history of it, it's pretty shady what got that pushed through. There is one church father people claim saying that this is okay, but right after the quote encouraging people to receive communion on the hand from that alleged church father, he says you should spray the precious blood all over your beard or something like that. Basically, a bird bath in the precious blood with your beard. Well, I mean, unless you're doing that, probably shouldn't receive communion on the hand. I'm going to read you a couple things from the past. Some of these are from some uh, councils, some parts of canon law, which I know have been abrogated. Don't write my diocese and say I'm promoting a past canon law. I know that these are abrogated. I'm just going to read you these <laughs> so that you understand the mind of the church as it has been in the past on communion in the hand. Again, there does seem to be some dispensation in the new mass for that, but I just want to give you the mind of the church and past councils. Granted, some of these are abrogated, especially the excommunications. However, it's good to know the mind of the church. St. Basil the Great, 330 to 379, one of the four great Eastern fathers considered communion in the hand so irregular that he did not hesitate to consider it a grave fault. And by the way, Taylor Marshall has a video up on that one person that they claimed to be was a church father encouraging communion in the hand. He does a pretty good job at proving that wasn't even a direct quote from that church father. It's probably apocryphal. Okay, next one. The council held in Zaragoza, Spain in 380 decided to punish with excommunication anyone who dared to continue the practice of communion in the hand. That was year 380. The local council at Rouen, France in 650 stated, do not put the Eucharist in the hands of any layman or laywoman, but only in their mouths. The council of Constantinople in 692, which was known as Intrulo, not one of the ecumenical councils held there, prohibited the faithful from receiving from giving communion to themselves, it decreed an excommunication of one week duration for those who would do so in the presence of a bishop, priest, or deacon. And then finally, from the Council of Trent, which is an infallible document, 
that the unvarying practice of the church has also been that the faithful receive the sacrament from the hand of the priest and that the priest communicate himself has been explained by the Council of Trent. And the same Holy Council has shown that this practice is always to be scrupulously adhered to, stamped as it is, with the authoritative impress of apostolic tradition and sanctioned by the illustrious example of our Lord himself who with his own hands consecrated and gave to his disciples his most sacred body, end quote. So right there, call it apostolic tradition to receive Holy Communion by your tongue alone, not your hands. Peter Cummins writes, Father Nix, thank you for your wonderful videos. Why are we here? Is it purely so that we can glorify Almighty God? My answer is yes, and save your souls. Leslie writes, what are your thoughts on theistic evolution? Well, there's two types of evolution being debated right now. There's microevolution, which is intra-species evolution. And then there's macroevolution, which is interspecies evolution. I have no real problem with intraspecies evolution, which is micro. But the question of theistic evolution, I believe, usually refers to macroevolution. That's the changing between species. Now, if you heard this whole video earlier, I said I grew up a pretty liberal Catholic. I went to Regis Jesuit High School here in Denver. Then I went to Boston College. It was when I was at Boston College, still not even close to being a traditional Catholic, had never been to a Latin Mass in my life, that I was studying molecular and cellular biology under a Harvard professor. And it was while studying the cell that I stopped to believe in macroevolution. It was studying micro... Uh, it was studying cellular and molecular biology under this Harvard professor as a pre-med student at Boston College that I stopped to believe in interspecies evolution because the numbers are just irresponsible mathematically to look at that as being a possibility. So, so in other words, I stopped believing in theistic evolution long before I saw that the popes had condemned it, at least the popes before 1950. I stopped believing in theistic evolution because... I don't believe in evolution. It's not that I doubt God could direct evolution if he wanted. I just think there's way too many holes in evolution itself. I think it was two years ago, there's a professor, a Jewish professor at Yale named David Gettner, not saying his name right, but he gave the most mathematically ironclad explanation at this point why evolution cannot be mathematically possible for the permutations of dilatations that would, deletions that would have to happen in the genome to even have one sustainable change, much less the thousands for one species to change to another species that is beneficial and not deleterious. Mary Sedita writes, what is the best way to explain to an eight-year-old the true presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist? I would say three things. One, bring her to adoration a lot. Two, Show her a book of Eucharistic miracles or Google it. And three, go to a traditional liturgy, either the traditional Latin Mass or one of the Eastern divine liturgies. The East has a theology that basically the best catechesis is good liturgy. Lizzie writes, greetings from the Holy Land. First of all, thank you for all of your work. I'm making my way to baptism this year, and I wonder how can I best get ready to receive God in the Blessed Sacrament? Well, Lizzie, congratulations on your approach to the holy and saving waters of baptism. We're going to be very excited to have you as a Catholic. And how can you get ready to receive God in the Blessed Sacrament? Well, just being in the Holy Land is a really great start. The only time I've been to the Holy Land, I remember walking everywhere just fascinated. Wow, the Son of God walked here and the Son of God walked there. So just being there, knowing that you're going to receive not just spiritually, but physically, the same Jesus who physically was in the Holy Land is a great start. You know, when the Franciscans started off, they 
spend a ton of time in mental prayer, just silence, meditating on the passion. So even though I'm a huge fan of rosary, of the rosary, of novenas, of the psalms, of mass, go to the churches in the Holy Land, even though it's probably a closed tabernacle, and just spend a lot of time in silence listening to our Lord, telling him that you love him in the Eucharist, that you're happy to be in the Holy Land, that you're happy to be approaching the saving waters of baptism, how thankful you are to um, soon to be a Catholic. You know, I had a spiritual director about 20 years ago, and he would basically describe the difference about going to pray in a church with a closed tabernacle versus exposition. That's where the host is in that big gold thing called the monstrance. So do you want to go to a closed tabernacle or one with the monstrance? Well, I never saw a single church in the Holy Land, either Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, that had our Lord in exposition. I never saw the host in the monstrance in the Holy Land. But as my spiritual director said, when you go to a closed tabernacle, it's not like God would be more present to us in exposition. It's just we're more present to him, perhaps, when we're before him with the host in the monstrance. But you know what? God is just as present to us with a closed tabernacle. And I notice there's a little bit of snottiness among Catholics these days. They won't go to adoration unless it is in a monstrance, unless our Lord's in a monstrance. But you know what? You can adore our Lord just as vigorously and just as robustly through the closed tabernacle as you can our Lord in the monstrance. So even though there are no places, at least that I know of, that have exposition of Blessed Sacrament, I'm sure there'll be comments correcting me, and that's fine, um, in the Holy Land, go to many churches Spend a lot of time in silence meditating on the passion of our Lord as you go around the Holy Land. Just find as many tabernacles as you can to make a holy hour. Sea Dog says, How to explain, defend non-Catholics offering up our sufferings, discomfort to God. Do Protestants also believe in offering up sufferings to God? I always bring them to Colossians 1.24, which says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Now, Protestant translations also have that word lacking. When you ask a Protestant what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, they will quickly say nothing. And they're theologically correct. That's exactly right. But subjectively, what is missing is my participation. And so many Protestants do want to know, well, if Jesus foot footed the bill entirely on the cross, why am I still suffering? And this is where we have this beautiful answer of redemptive suffering. This is why I sometimes give out this pamphlet right here from Tan Books that says, Suffering, how to make the greatest evil in our lives our greatest happiness. I find that many Catholics and Protestants want to make sense of their suffering. It's been proved in many different things. People commit suicide not because they're suffering, but because there's no meaning to their suffering. And when people understand that their suffering can be salvific for the salvation of loved ones, then it makes sense of their suffering. So I think there's a lot of people, Catholic, Protestant, even non-Catholics, who are very much open now to this idea of redemptive suffering. Marty McFly writes, What does the church teach on modesty, specifically regarding dress for men and women? So, you know, men are more visually wired than women, and this is one reason why I think the church has said a lot more on women's modesty. My go-to is a great article by my friend Stephanie, Stephanie Nichols, a new last name, but you're going to find this at Catholic Family News. It's called Understanding Modesty, Objective Standards, and Practical Insights. Again, that's by Stephanie Nicholas at Catholic Family News. Interesting you mentioned men in your question, though. Again, because men are more visually wired, there's been more written about women's modesty, and I do think it's more important. 
important. Um, but, you know, I don't know if this is one of those apocryphal tales, but I've heard that Padre Pio would not even give absolution to men, to men in his confessional wearing short sleeves. He thought modesty approaching the sacraments was that important. So um, we men also have to be aware of these things uh, as far as modesty. Lake Caspian writes, Hey Padre, love your vids. I'm recently returned to the church after being away for 30 years. I'm not sure what happened to the Bible I received for my confirmation as a 12-year-old. I'm interested in purchasing a new one, but don't know which kind to get. Have been told the King James Version was really written by Sir Francis Bacon and admits important books. Would really appreciate your guidance here, please. Okay, Lake Caspian, thanks for the uh, question. Very, very glad you're coming back to the church. All you got to do is make a good confession. As far as the Bible, I would suggest, I would suggest either the English Standard Version, Catholic Edition, or the Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, and in the third place, the Dewey Rhymes Bible. If you listen to my last VLX, I went through the advantages and disadvantages of all the Bibles that most of my listeners on the VLX series are listening to. Thanks for the question. Welcome back to the Catholic Faith. Okay, I'm going to skip a few of the middle questions, just go to the end. Sorry about that. Maybe I can get back to the middle ones. I'll save those for later. Leanne Reinhold writes, I've been taking steps to return to the church, even though I've been away since childhood. The resistance is terrible, and I feel discouraged. Is it just a test, or is God rejecting me? I'll be the only member in my family if I succeed. Thank you for all you do, Father. So my short answer is persevere. Come into the Catholic faith. If you aren't baptized, be baptized, Leanne. I think you probably were because you said returning to the church. Make a good confession. That's all it takes, and you'll be in the friendship of Jesus Christ. He already loves you infinitely, but once you make a good confession, you return to his intimate friendship. And yeah, you know, I think these are unprecedented days. I'm sorry to use the word unprecedented that everyone likes to use these days, uh, but I really do believe these are unprecedented days of resistance. It's not just you. We're all feeling a tremendous uh, spiritual way. I'll give you a few reasons I believe that. One is earlier I mentioned that Father Ripperger said in the autumn of 1963, even the exorcists felt that the weight of the church behind them and the exorcisms they were doing just all fell up. Father Ripperger wasn't doing exorcisms then, but the older exorcists all say that they felt in the autumn of 63 um, a great lack of success. Something changed in the spiritual ecosystem in the past 50 to 60 years that made it really, really hard. Now, we're going to get to the good news on this. St. Robert Bellarmine says that in the last days, it will be harder to be a saint than even the initial days in the Roman times when people were physically executed for Christianity. He said, because in the last days, we would be facing spiritual enemies, not physical enemies. St. Louis de Montfort says the last saints will be the greatest saints because of what they will face. I don't know if these are the last days. But I do believe in the private revelation of Gloria Polo. And she said she was given a vision of her soul at the moment of death. She was condemned to hell. God gave her a second chance and she's on earth now. She has the approbation of all the bishops of South America. Uh, I think there's some traditionalists that don't trust her. But I, I do believe it was a real near-death experience. And she was shown all these things in the spiritual world. And one of the things that she saw is that every abortion that happens... There is a seal in hell that was meant to keep back a ton of demons. And every abortion that happens on earth makes one of these seals in hell open up and release countless demons onto earth. Even 50, 60 years ago, Padre Pio said, if we could see all the demons around us, 
looking upside, looking outside, you wouldn't even be able to see the sun. Now, God is infinitely more powerful and um, obviously intimate to us and the demons are not. The demons might surround us, but only God is is uh, intimate to us as our dearest friend, especially in sanctifying grace in our hearts. And he is infinitely powerful and the demons only have limited power. But due to our sin, they have gained power. And therefore, I think we all feel tremendous spiritual resistance in doing the right thing in a way that saints in the past did not feel. Now, the good news behind that is, one, you're not alone. We're all facing this. So persevere. And two, God's going to give tremendous graces for the few people that persevere. Okay, last question today comes from Julie C. She says, I have a question. What are you drinking? Smiley face. I think she's talking about the picture where I was in Florida with the sign that said, got questions, need confession. And I was drinking a um, cold brew. It was a uh, cold brew from Dunkin' Donuts. And you know, my drink of choice is tea. I only have a couple hobbies. Maybe one of them is languages and the other is nice black loose leaf teas from China. So if anyone uh, ever wants to get me a gift and doesn't like to donate money, the upkeep of this hermitage or my pro-life work or the videos or whatever, Upton Tea, I think it's uptontea.com out of Massachusetts, black loose leaf teas are my go-to.